Welcome to the audio podcast of Believer's House. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, called to lead people to Jesus, make them more like Him, and see them lead others to Him. We hope this message you are about to listen to inspires you to become more like Jesus in your thoughts, words, and actions. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 15. Because you probably haven't read your Bible this week, so take this as your Bible reading plan for this week. Second Samuel 12, from verse 1. Here is what it says. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little hill lamb which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate at his own food, it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who, re- who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. I don't know why the Bible put exclamation there, but that's the way it said. It said, the man shall surely die. And that's the way many Christians respond when they hear that another Christian has done something wrong. They should be punished. They should be banished. Banished from the church, from the pulpit. Banished. Number six. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Seven. Then Nathan said to David, you are, in the same way, you are the man. Exclamation is there, okay? You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anoint you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and you shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. You know, the Bible is sometimes very gangster. Like, they are looking for the best storylines there in the Bible. This is like a sitcom. Where was I? Verse what am I even reading? Verse 12. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Please take note of that expression. That was the first thing that came out of David's mouth after the judgment he pronounced on who he thought was not him. So he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However... Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. I want to preach a word today that I have called blind spots. Blind spots. Um, I'm one of those people that pride myself in the fact that I've never had a car crash. Um, it's the grace of God. But I've never had, you know, and either here or in Nigeria, I've never crashed a car. Except when I, I had not really learned how to drive. <laughs> so that doesn't count, okay? So back in the day, my dad had this Mitsubishi, this black Mitsubishi that was always smoking all the time. Um, it had a major issue, and he didn't want to spend the money to fix it, so he just left it parked somewhere. But I found the money, and I did up the car, and I started to use it to learn how to drive, you know, just drive around and, you know, around the neighborhood and do all of those things. But the, the bolder I got, the farther I started to go. 
So I started driving farther and farther until one day I found myself on the island, which is, I used to live on the mainland, and it's almost like saying I'm living in, in Ammon's Plains, and I found myself in Cole Harbor, that type of thing. And I was at this roundabout, and all of a sudden, I was trying to change my lanes. I had looked left, I had looked right, all that they taught me in driving school. And I had turned, and all of a sudden, I heard boom. Like someone just hit me from behind. And I'm like, but there was no car here. I looked. <laughs> I looked right, I looked left, and there was no car. So the, the fellow came out, and you know, around here, when something like that happens, you call 911. All right? There's no 911 where I come from. There still is no 911 where I come from. Okay? And this was many years ago. So what you will hear are curses and, and shouts. What's wrong with you? You're crazy. You're mad. You're stupid. Get out of the road. That's, that's, literally, that's what is going on. So everybody's passing. Instead of trying to help me or trying to get us out of the road, like, get out of the road. You're blocking the road. You're, you're stupid. You're crazy. You're mad. Look at you. How old are you? You can't even drive. So I came out of the car. <laughs> this is real. This is what happens. Okay? I came out of the car, and the fellow came out. I was like, what's wrong with you? Didn't you see me? I'm like, no, dude. I didn't see you. I looked everywhere. I didn't see you. And then he said, I was in your blind spot. Now, this is many years ago, okay? So today, it's like a common expression. That was the first time that I was hearing that word. I had gone to driving school, just to let you understand what kind of driving school. <laughs> I had never come across it. So I pretended like I knew what he was talking about, right? So we sorted it out. Thankfully, my car wasn't damaged because the car was a rocket, rugged car. It was an old car, very rugged. It was his own car that was damaged. So I just went my way because it was his fault anyway. And let me just, a tip is, if you are driving and you hit someone from behind, it's always your fault. Uh -huh, always your fault. So there's no excuse from, if you are the one at the back, you are the one at fault. Simple as that, okay? Even if they brake check you or they are stopping, you have to use, I'm not here to give driving tips. So I went home. <laughs> I went home and I went to find out, what is this thing? This blind spot thing, what is this? All right, so that was many, many years ago. So if we take that illustration and we put it into our lives and our work with God, here's the definition of the word anyway uh, from the dictionary. This is one of the definitions of blind spot. It can mean many things, but when it comes to driving and this reference, it means an area to the side and slightly behind a driver's field of vision that is not reflected in the vehicle's rear view mirrors. So you cannot see your blind spot by looking at your mirrors. There's only one way. And we'll talk about that later, but let me get into the message. So the message this morning is, every single one of us have blind spots. Every one of us. There's nobody that is exempt from this. Every one of us have it. These are areas in our lives that we cannot see because we are not focused on them. When you are in a car and you are driving, your focus is supposed to be ahead of you. You are supposed to be looking ahead. And because you are looking ahead of you, and you are doing a good job at looking ahead of you, you are going to miss the vehicles that are in that area between your, 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 the last uh, uh, door of the car and the bumper of the car. It's just that small area. Every, any car that stays in that place, you're going to miss it. It's the same with your life. There are things that, because you are focused on one thing, you will most likely not know that other things are being exposed. And, and you are not capable of knowing this, except someone shows it to you. That's why new cars have something called blind spot detector that shows up in your mirror and beeps a light to tell you that there is an object in that space called your blind spot. But these things, as just the same way that a car in your blind spot can cause a crash, the blind spots in our lives are actually capable of affecting the cause of our lives, the direction of our lives. Because when you have a car crash, your day is ruined. Your plans have changed. It's the same thing with your life. The direction has changed. It will, it will affect where you go, how fast you get there, and what you are able to achieve. This is why it's important that we pay attention to them and that you pay attention to this message because you cannot deny your blind spots. As much as you don't want them to be there, they are there. You can't deny that. that is, that's actually a thing. And it takes a lot of humility to actually accept that as good as I am at driving, there is something that is beyond me that I can't control. That takes humility. To accept that I might be good at, at my career and I'm just focused on my career and everything is good. I'm getting promoted. I'm getting, you know, but I'm neglecting my kids. Now, I think I'm a good dad. I, I, I buy them things. I do all of that. But, but I'm not paying as much attention to them. And the, the, there is a proverb that, that is said where I come from, okay? Uh, I will not do Tower of Babel because... Some people have, have done that. 
So I'll just tell you what it means, okay? Is that a child that you don't train will eventually sell the house that you spent your time building. Now, it doesn't sound nice in English, but in, the, in my language, it rhymes. So it sounds very nice. So you think you are building a fortune, but you are not training the kids. Those kids will eventually waste that fortune. That's literally what he's talking about. So every one of us have one thing or the other, no matter how good we are. And isn't it wild the way we make excuses for our own weaknesses, but we judge other people by their weaknesses? So this is the scenario. I, I did something wrong. I behaved poorly. But you know me. You know my heart. You know that I didn't mean to do that. You know I'm a good guy. You should know that that's not my intention, right? But when you do something, you are a bad person. You should know better. Having to be coming to Believer's House with all the word, you should know better than that. You shouldn't behave that way. And that's the way we do. And that's what we find in our text, is that before David realized that they were actually talking about him, his, his, his countenance was different. The, the, the stance was different. It was on the high horse. It was like, who's that? Perish, die, banished. But when it came to the fact that it was now reversed and shown to him that, you know, this is actually you we are talking about. And he said, Lord, I have sinned against you. Yeah. So we have to be careful not to judge people by their own weaknesses and judge ourselves by our intentions. So if you are judging yourself by your intentions, you have to also judge other people by their intentions. That's what I'm saying. So if somebody does something, this is how my, my mom used to put it when we were growing up. She says, always give people the benefit of the doubt. Always give people the benefit of the doubt, which means that the first thing that you notice is not always how, how it appears. The first person to tell the story is not always telling the complete truth. Oh, trust me, I know about this. I know about this. Where I work is a very prime example. <laughs> when people want to, when people enter a, a police station, for example, and they want to report a crime, right? They are reporting based on their own, what favors them. Two minutes later, the spouse will show up and report their own. And then you look at the stories and you're like, okay, <laughs> okay, what's going on here? Because everybody will always judge themselves by their own intentions. But we must also leave that same room for other people, because you also have a blind spot. Just the same way that that person may not have noticed what you, what you are capitalizing on. All right, so here is the scenario in this text, in case you don't know the story. The backstory is, we have David, who is, who is this king, and you know, he, he was, I mean, you know the story, don't you? You have to go by, okay, but just in case you don't, because I don't want to always assume that everybody knows every story, all right? And this is the thing, because we have grown up in church, learning the stories, because people share them. If we stop sharing them because we think everybody knows them, people growing up in church will not know the stories. So David was the king. He was supposed to be in battle. And you heard Professor Ola the other day was telling you that um, it was, his issue was his heart, which is a good thesis. That's, that's correct. But it's also correct that he was not supposed to be in that place at that time. That's also correct. Because that was not consistent with the pattern of wars in Scripture. So I, I don't have time to go into that. But he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, got on this roof, saw a beautiful damsel taking a bath, somebody else's wife, he was king. And kings back in the day don't, have quest they don't ask questions. They don't have time for entire, entire no, there's no, so you say, ah, well, Bathsheba should have said, because you are a feminist, you think that Bathsheba should have said, ah, ah, but I don't want to do now. Why are you, no, 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 back in the day there was nothing like that. So the king said, come. The answer is, come. Yeah, so it had nothing to do with her, it was David's problem. So, so we know Bathsheba has no blame uh, because that was the culture of the day. So she came and she, she, she ended up getting pregnant and all of those things. Long story short, David decides that the best way to do this thing is to cover up this thing. And so he, he sent for the husband of this lady and said, you are in the battlefield, come home and chill, okay? So gave him food, said relax, go home and do all of that. Uriah refused to go home. Have you ever met such people before? <laughs> that it doesn't matter what you say they are not going to do the wrong thing. Yeah, that should be you. Look, Uriah was so upright that David wrote inside a note, kill Uriah, put him in the forefront of the battle, and folded it and gave it to him. He delivered the note 
to the person that will kill him. He didn't open it. I would have opened it. <laughs> ah. This guy that gave me food, said sleep outside, I refused to sleep. He gave me alcohol, got me drunk, put me outside. Said, Why are you saying I should go home? Now you are writing notes and telling me to go and deliver it. I will open the notes. I know that I will open it. So he did open the note, and he ended up dying, right? And, and, and all of that. And David tried to cover it up and all of that. So he, the prophet came to him. I was now painting a picture to him of a completely different scenario, making it look like a different thing. And David was quick to judge that action. Yeah, because until it's about you, it doesn't really come face to face with you, and you see it. So let's, let's go over three quick thoughts. Now, these are, I'm just going to run through this before I really start to preach, okay? So three, three main ideas that I want you to remember from this. Number one is this. You do not see your blind spots. You don't see your own blind spots. You, 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 do, you, you don't see it. Now, I'm not saying you cannot. We'll get to that. But, you, but typically, you do not see your blind spots. That's why they are called blind spots. Because ordinarily, you will not see them. So no matter how good in character you are, there is an area of your life that still needs some work. Every single one of us. And it's not obvious to you. You know, that's the bad thing about it is that it's, you, you are oblivious to it. Yeah, it's not obvious to you at all. So it, it takes somebody else to actually show you what that thing is. So you, but if, if, you, if you, you don't see it, does not mean you can't see it. So back to the illustration. How do we make sure that we see the vehicles that are in our blind spots? You show that check. Not everybody knows that. Oh, trust me, not everybody knows that. I mean, if you, live in, if you lived in BC for any length of time, show that check has cost more people driver's license than any other thing. You can do driving tests three or four times. The first time, the instructor will not even tell you that it's because you are not shoulder checking. They're just using your money to, to, to increase the budget. So you pay, then you come back, you pay, you come back, you pay. So until you learn that you are supposed to look over your shoulder and see what's going on there. Shoulder checking to me is like checking your motives. So, so before you take any action, you are checking your intentions. Because that's what we said. That's how you judge other people. That's, that's what I said you should do. But right now, you are judging yourself by your intentions. <laughs> so you should at least check those intentions. So when you look over your shoulder, you are asking yourself that this thing I'm about to do, what is the underlining intent behind it? Why am I choosing to make this move? Why am I doing this? Now, it's not what you are telling everybody it is. I'm saying you check your own heart and say, what is the main thing that is the driving force of this request that I am asking God? It's like uh, Reverend Sam Adeyemi was preaching at uh, Peter's church uh, over the weekend. He was, he was at the leaders' conference there. And he was saying that there was a season in their church where he was just praying about the church has to grow, the church has to grow, the church has to grow. Until one day he was praying and the Holy Spirit asked him, why do you want the church to grow? He said, ah, what kind of question is this one? Why, is it not your church? Don't you want the church to grow? Why are you asking me? Why do, and the Holy Spirit, and you, know, you know when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Yeah, he wants to confront you with your own ignorance. So he asked him again, why do you want the church to grow? When he refused to answer, the Holy Spirit answered him for him. He said, you want to be a successful pastor. That's why you want it to grow. You are not looking out for anybody. It's not about people being blessed or lives being changed. Dude, you just want to be a success, so that when they are calling the list of successful pastors, they can mention your name. That's why. And he said until he was confronted with that reality and changed his intention, that for the first time in, the, in their ministry, now the ministry was, was going near 10 years at this time, for the first time, he now asked himself, okay, what are the needs of the people? <laughs> so he had never confronted himself with that reality. So he started asking, okay, so what are they need? What do the people actually need? So what can I preach that can solve their problems? That's when he started asking those questions. And that's when he started seeing change. So you have to check your intention for everything because sometimes the reason why you cannot judge people by their actions, right, is this. There are some actions that people take that on the outside looks like a bad action, but it's coming from a place of love. Kenneth Copeland was sharing a story, he shares it all the time, about his, his mom, uh, that was it, that his mom in their kitchen, in his mom's kitchen, you don't curse, you don't swear. If you use the F word, you will get a slap. Now, on the outside, if you are looking through the window and you see the mom slapping the boy, you say, child abuse, child abuse, call CPS, child abuse, right? But the intention behind that slap is different. So the action is something else, the, the intention is different. Now, so I'm going to ask you a question that I asked them in class this morning. 
Very simple question, and you have to answer this question. Echo it. Don't wait for somebody else to answer before you answer. Answer it for yourself. Now, you will say it in different ways, but you must have an answer to this question, and I will ask it now. What determines where a person spends eternity? One to go. Some of you are disobedient. <laughs> I will give you another opportunity. Echo this loudly, okay, in your own words. What determines where a person spends eternity? You have like two or three disobedient ones, but it's okay. <laughs> now, the answer to that question is very important because that's the answer to Ananias and Sapphira. It's not a big deal. It's not a difficult question. Just ask yourself, what determines where a person spends eternity? And sometimes you, you think you believe something until you are confronted with something else that looks contradictory to it. Then you have to ask yourself, do I really believe what I'm saying? Because for a legalistic Christian, the answer to that question is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. The answer to that question is unacceptable for them. It's like, ah, what are you saying? That, that somebody came to church, gave money, lied. No. You are not God because you look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Yeah. That's what God does. So when God looks at somebody taking an action, he's not looking at that action. Whether it's good or bad is not, not the issue. Where is this action coming from? is what is important to God. So if we are saying that a person's last-minute mistake, uh, let's call it a sin, so that you don't think I'm minimizing it. So somebody committed a sin, last-minute sin, before they died, qualifies them to go to hell and nullifies the work of Jesus in their life. If that's what we are saying, we are also therefore saying, listen to me carefully, that anybody, whether you, are, you, are, you believed or you don't believe, if you can do a last-minute good deed, it nullifies your unbelief and qualifies you for heaven. That's what you are saying. You see the foolishness in that? That that cannot be correct. Now, it's possible for people to be in church and not be Christians. So we cannot conclude conclusively that they were Christians. No. That somebody is sowing a, a, a seed or giving an offering does not mean they actually believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ah, we have seen it even in our, in our midst where people are even serving and we think they are believers until, I mean, all of you are going to get Believer's House membership forms. Both those of you that did April class and those of you that, that, did, that started this morning. So that you go home and fill it. When you start filling those things out, that's the first time you will be confronted with some things in your own life. So, so it will ask you, when was your salvation? Tell us your salvation experience. Then you now pause. And <laughs> say, ah, salvation, what's that? Because for people to serve in certain capacities in the church... You've got to be saved. You cannot be an unbeliever. You can be in the church as an unbeliever. There's nothing wrong with that. But I cannot be, the, be standing in front of you and I'm an unbeliever. And be preaching to you or be singing. No. <laughs> you can't do that. So it's possible for people to hang around church without actually being saved. So that's another subject. But what I want you to understand, and this cannot be an argument in your heart. If you hear such questions and there's a doubt in your heart, you don't believe what we're saying. You know it, but you don't yet believe it. You still believe that by works shall a man be saved, not by grace. That's what you believe. So you have to understand that your works are important, and I've stressed this so many times. There is a blessing on the earth for it. There are realms in God you cannot experience without holiness. There are dimensions in God on this earth that you cannot operate in without being righteous and holy, both righteous as in your position with God and righteousness as an act. Very important. But that is not what qualifies you for heaven. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you believe in that. How you spend eternity, though, so which tells us that if they make it to heaven, there is no reward for what they have done. Because that scripture tells us that the, the works will be burnt as in fire. If it is genuine, it will stand. If it does not, it will perish. But he himself will be saved. I hope that settles this once and for all. I hope that settles this. Okay. All right. Because I don't, I don't want you to be, you can't be in the church and just be, be in the dark about things. Or, no, no, you have to know what you believe. And it's either you believe it or you don't believe it. Or you still think that, ah, but it cannot be that easy. <laughs> ah, no, it cannot be that easy. I'm telling you, if God wants to, you heard when he was preaching, he told you that your thoughts every single day, the ones that are negative are 80% of your thoughts. If you do the math, you have only two milliseconds in a day not to have a negative thought. If rapture does not come within those two milliseconds, you are going to hell. <laughs> oh, do you see the folly of what you are saying now? That's what you are telling me. 
So if rapture does not happen within those, so God has only those two milliseconds to capture you, otherwise he's hell. You see the foolishness now? Because it doesn't matter how clean you are, there will be thoughts that will be coming through your mind that you have to wrestle with. That's why he said whatever things are pure, true, holy. So if any negative thought is coming to your mind and rapture happens at that time, hellfire. <laughs> so we have now left this thing to a game of chance. It's like a lottery now. That we're just waiting. No, we don't know. Ah, me, I know where I'm going. No. Oh, I know where I'm going. I, I, know, I know it like the back of the palm of my hands. That's not my concern. My concern now has shifted to the reward. Is that I don't want to be on your level when I'm in heaven. That's my concern now is that there are different crowns. Every day I change the crown with the swag of what I'm wearing. <laughs> ah. In fact, let me just... You know what mommy said about the crowns? It, it captured me. It just got my attention. But let me not dwell on that because I have, I have 20 minutes to go. So you check your motives, okay? And God will check your heart if it's in alignment. Because sometimes your actions may look wrong, but that's not how God judges you. People judge you that way, though. But I'm saying who? God. God. So you can give your body to be burnt and you don't have love. It's possible. You can go and sell your house and give, not the tithe of the profit, give all the whole money. Huh? And your, your motive is different. <laughs> so that's what is important. Okay? So second thought is this. Write this down. Number two. Others can see your blind spots. So you can't, but other people can. And this is the crazy thing about it. I wish other people were blind too to it. But that would mean that everybody would be crashing. <laughs> so, so they see it way before you actually do. Because your blind spots are obvious to others and you are oblivious to them. And the reason why this happens is that we're not saying you are a bad person. We're just saying that you are focused on something else. For example, if a, a new person comes into this room, a guest comes into this room, they are more likely to notice things that are wrong than you and me that come every week. Because the more you show up, the more... Have you noticed that it is when you are about to have a visitor that you start looking at your house differently? Yeah, then you take on the eyes of a visitor and everything now takes on a new meaning. Then you start, is this supposed to be here? No. Can I change this? Yes. But every day you come into that space and it's just normal. That's the same way it is. That's, that's exactly how it is, all right? So people, people don't want to tell you uh, and the reason is that they think you are going to be offended. So when somebody sees, uh, 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 actually Christians do this a lot, they see a Christian brother that is always going to a sister's house at a particular time in the night. Sometimes he comes back, sometimes he does not come back till the morning. But they don't say anything. Why? Because they think they don't have the permission to. Because the Christianity that we are practicing in North America is not a family Christianity. is an individual Christianity. It's an isolated Christianity. That I, I look at all the churches, I choose a church that meets my needs. I don't want them to tell me how to live my life. I just want to come. If I feel like giving, I'll give. If I don't feel like giving, you can't force me to give. I'll do my thing. When I finish, I go away. Don't ask me for my name. Don't, don't ask me for my address. You better not call me or send me an email. Just leave me alone. I want to come, grow, and disappear. <laughs> That's what I want to do. I don't want any involvement. I don't want to do anything. So people now feel that that's how church is supposed to be. That you can just come, you know, just do your thing and sneak out and just run away and don't do anything. So when somebody else sees you, who is a member of your family, it's like your younger brother sees you doing something bad that's going to hurt you. And he doesn't tell you that what you are doing is bad. And the problem is that you have not given them the permission to do that. You have not given other people permission by access. You, are, you have a shield and a guard around you. That even when people are, are chatting with you after service, you are like this. So, you don't fold it down this body language. It's like, okay, what's coming now? What's coming? So any question they ask, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you, you round about the question. Yeah, because you don't want to give anybody access into your life. And what happens is that when people see your blind spots, they're not able to tell you. And you end up in a crash. Because you haven't given them permission. There are people that... In my own life, as you look at me like this, I, I come here, I preach. You, you will say, because you like me, you will say, ah, good word, solid word. Oh, pastor, oh, preach. You do everything. I have friends that every week, as I finish like this, eh, I'm waiting for the phone to buzz. They will send me thesis of criticism. Huh? And say, she's laughing because she knows one of them personally. Send me, like, constructive. Say, man of God, and it's always the sandwich method. So good, bad, then good at the end. 
they will give me the praise. Ah, man of God, that's a good word. You preach well. Then you will now start pointing things out to me. Tell me, but you should have, but this one, but you said, but you said. Now, the reason why they, will, they can continue to do that is because I don't get angry. I say, you do you even go to Bible school? Do you know how, how what's your problem? What do you know? <laughs> that you get, I can get offended and start saying, but I understand that you, you, my wife is the only one in this room that has permission to criticize me. Because you don't feel like you have, you get, you will not feel like, ah, you say, ah, can I be criticized my pastor? But I have to have people that are looking out for me. Yeah, otherwise, it's a free fall. So you're just there by yourself. Nobody can tell you anything. You can wake up in the morning, do whatever you like. And you are just living your life. Even your spouse doesn't have permission to tell you that, dude, you cannot wake up in the morning and be playing Madden. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. Life was not created for that. That because the, the game is 8 a.m. in the morning our time, means you wake up in the morning, you quickly go and brush your teeth, then you sit down under the, on the front of the telly, and you'll be watching Manchester City. <sighs> Man City. Somebody must tell you. You know, it's like when we were in high school, because I was, I was in a boys' school, right? The one that we used to do is that people, some guys will not put on their zipper when they go to the bathroom. So they'll go to the bathroom, they won't, they won't pull up their zippers. Especially when it's prefects or seniors. Ah! Nobody will tell them. And we'll be telling ourselves, which is what some Christians do. So they won't tell the person that something is wrong with this behavior. But they'll be telling everybody, say, ah, do you see prefects? Ah, do you see prefects? Ah, look at it. Some people even take it to another level. They go and draw it on the wall somewhere. <laughs> oh, this is not a joke. If you go to my school, you see memorials on the wall everywhere. <laughs> they, will put it, they will sign it. Uh, preferred so-so-and-so was here. Then they will draw it with open zipper. That's the, that's the parental profession. I won't go further than that. So you, you see that. Then it, it cannot be the way that church is. Otherwise, <laughs> we are in a big problem. That everybody is just doing their thing, doing whatever they like. Nobody can tell them what to do. Nobody can bring you to order. Nobody can correct you. Nobody, because you have not given anybody permission to. That's not the way to grow. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, uh, you, you don't have this, but it says, speaking the truth in love. You can find it for me. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That's what it says. Ephesians 4 15. So, so that's how we grow into the stature of Christ, by speaking the truth. How? In love. So it's not that somebody is doing something wrong, then you go and tell them. You say, you say I've always known it that you are like this. I just didn't know how to tell you. <laughs> this is how you are. That's not the way. Look at it. It says, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So last thing is this, write this down before I now begin to preach, okay? You, are not, you have not escaped yet. I'm just about to start now. Final thought is this. God wants to show you your blind spots. So as much as you cannot see it and others can, the heart of God is actually to show you. And he often does this still through men. Because he's not going to come from heaven and, and reveal your blind spots. He's going to actually use men. Uh, another scripture you might not have, Second Samuel 7, uh, for, uh, verse, I think it's verse 14, where it talks about the rod of men. If you just put rod of men, you might find it. It, it speaks about the fact that how God corrects us is, is through the rod of men. Uh, and I will go to Paul's example in a moment, but I want you to, to set your eyes on that scripture. You can just write it, Second Samuel 7, I, I think is, it should be verse number 14, which speaks about the, the rod of men. So, Paul's example is very pertinent, and I want to, I want to take some time to, to, to just explain it here. Look at what he says. He says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him. With what? The rod of men. And we already know that it's the people that God loves that he chastises. So, how God chastises those he loves is through other people. He's going to use other people. So, 2 Corinthians, now let's go to Paul's, Paul's story. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, from verse 7. Okay, 2 Corinthians 12 from verse 7. It says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure, concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. So from this story, we can conclude that Paul's blind spot was probably pride. Because he says that because of the abundance of revelation, I was given this thing called the, the thorn in the flesh. I prayed three times that God should take it away. Now, I'm going to do some theology this morning. So if you don't like theology, sorry, you came to the wrong service. Wait for the second service, okay? But, but I'm, going to, I'm going to break this down because this is another question that people have. Say, what is the, the thorn in Paul's flesh? What is this thorn? Eh? Ah, this thorn. Now, this thorn in the flesh is one of those areas of theology that nobody is right and nobody's wrong. Because there's no definitive proof on any side. Definitive now is the key word. Definitive. Okay? There are proofs, but there's no definitive proof. So you cannot say conclusively that this is what. But I have a position because I'm a theologian. So I have a position. Okay? I've always had one, so it's not today. But this morning I still went over my Bibles just to be sure that what I know is still what it is. Okay? Now, when you look at Scripture sometimes, they are, I've taught you this in the past. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't say they are mistakes, but they are, they are words are important in Scripture. And, and there are omissions sometimes. There are things that are added. There are things that are removed. Now, Paul, Paul described this thing as, as a thorn in his flesh. The, the question you want to ask yourself is, if you want to say, let the, the, one of the principles of Scripture interpretation is we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. So if we want to do that and go by something called the law of first mention, we have to look in the Bible and ask ourselves, is there any other place where this expression, thorn in the flesh, or thorn in the side, or anything like that, has been used before? Is it used anywhere else in the Bible? How was it used? Numbers 33, verse 55. Now, this is not in your slides. Samson is doing a good job today. Or whether it's, I don't know who is there. Who is there? Stanley? God bless you, sir. Because he's just finding the scriptures and putting them. Because I didn't give them. Most of the ones I've been quoting, I'm just quoting them. I didn't give them. This one now. Numbers 33, verse 55. It's one of those places in the scripture that that expression was first used. And when it was used in that scripture, let's give them time to find it. But when it was used in that scripture, it was a reference to people. So it wasn't talking about illness. It was not talking about a sickness. It wasn't talking about anything like that. Because Paul chose to use the word infirmity. Some people say, ah, oh, maybe he had bad eyesight. Maybe he had this. Maybe he had that. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then I shall be, it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and what? Thorns in your sides. And they shall harass you. So sometimes when people are harassing you, it's God. <laughs> Is that not what Paul said? Yeah. Paul gave it to him. Literally, God gave him the thorn on his side. God did that. He said, God gave me this. A messenger of Satan. To perfect me. So when he says messenger, that is also a reference to people. You, I know you don't agree, but you will agree. Eventually you will agree. So what I also want to do is I, I, I need a volunteer. So what I, took, what I did this morning is I took a picture of, the, of my Bible, of my, my Greek Bible, so that it's not just me, I'm just quoting it. And I, I've not prepared anybody. I just need a random volunteer, anybody. I want you to come and read it in the original text, how it says it in the original text, so that everybody can hear it. Okay, anybody wants to do that for me? No, no, you, they will think you are, you are a minister now. You preach. They will think that not, you are close to me. They will think that you are is a is planned work. You say, ah, under G. Because you know, put all these people. I want somebody, Christina, do you want to do this? Christina is a very quiet person, so this is hard for her. Okay? Very hard. Can, do you want to do this? Okay. God bless you. Can we clap for her? Encourage her. Encourage her. Please give me a microphone for her. Okay? So what I want you to do is, I'm going to show you, can you see this? Can you see, I, I, I took a picture of, of, of the Bible, right? This is, how, this is the original Bible. Can you, read, can you read this one here? Is it English? I didn't know. Let's okay. Be because it is Greek. Yeah. yeah. So this is Greek. Okay. Under it is English. Okay. So what I want you to do is the part that I highlighted, okay, in yellow, yeah. I want you to read it out so that you can hear how the, 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 the scripture actually says it. Okay? okay. Encourage a smile. Smile. Don't, don't, don't harden your face. Smile. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, that he might buffet. Wait, that what? Buffet. No, 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 that what? That he. He? Yeah. Is, is that written in the Bible there? Yes. Okay. Look in your Bible. Is that word he in your Bible? That he might buffet me. Wait, wait, Christina. I want them to look in their own Bible. Is the word he in that scripture? We are reading 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, 2 Corinthians, where is it? 11. Is it? 12? 27. Okay. Uh, if you know it, why is it not on the screen? You are telling me from your corner there. Put it on the screen. <laughs> okay. So, is the, it, so it says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. That's what it says. Yeah. But what does it say here? That he might buffet me. So does that make sense to you now? 
Some people are still, some people are still not sure. Some people are still not happy. <laughs> so, so when, when they leave out the word he in the rendition, do you see that that's a big deal? So he, he himself said this specifically, that a messenger of Satan was sent that he might buffet me. So thank you, Christina. Please give her a round of applause. <laughs> What she, what she just did now, she just overcame one of the greatest fears human beings have. For public speaking and dentists. Those are the worst fears. Yeah, people are. I'll tell you the story on another day. So, so like I said, there is, I mean, there's, there's, if, I, if, I, if you asked me to do a theological debate and, and present the other side of the argument, why it is sickness, I can do it from the Bible. <laughs> but when I see these things, there's, I can show you more examples. In fact, let me try. Just, I'm just looking at the time. It says, because he now used the word, he um, says uh, that it might depart from me. Then people get confused. But at the beginning, he has already told us what that issue was. 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. 2 Timothy 4, 14. Are you there? 2 Timothy 4, 14. I'm sorry I'm, I'm doing this to you guys, media today. You are growing up today. You are growing up. <laughs> I'm just giving the scriptures that are not in their preparation. Okay, no, look at what he says. He says, this is Paul speaking now. What did he say? Please read it, read it. You are looking at it. Read it together. One, two, go. Okay. Can I give you the Nigerian version of this scripture? Alexander the coppersmith did me strong thing. God punish him. That's the Nigerian international version of this scripture. That's what we will say. So he's already telling us what the issue was. Somewhere else he told us about his concern for the churches. I preached that the other day. When you ask yourself, what, what is in the church? Is it the building and the structure that he's concerned about? What is he concerned about? People. People. So that's why I said, you cannot prove me wrong. I may not be able to also prove it fully, but you can't prove me wrong. And I've already given you enough proof now for my own argument. So, you are at liberty to adopt my... It's not a doctrine. Uh -huh, it's not a doctrine. It's my opinion. So, you are at liberty. That does not determine whether you make heaven or not. The one of Ananias is a different matter. That one is, is crucial. Yeah. So, you must believe that one. Uh -huh. That one is, is, is a... This one is not a big deal. So, whether Paul is torn in the flesh, was, his leg was bad, or his brain was not working well, that is not the issue. That's not the issue. You will make heaven. You will, you will find Paul. You will ask him. He will tell you. <laughs> Yeah, so that's not a big... So don't major on the minor. Uh -huh, that's all I'm saying. So, moving on, I just wanted to put some... You know, it's been a while that I did this. I feel good now. I feel very good. Yeah. It's been a while that I did theology on Sunday, so it's good. All right? So, so we said that God chastises people that he loves, okay? But the, thing, also, the other thing about it is, is if you go to James 4, verse 6, you also see there that it says that God gives more grace to the humble and he resists the proud. Just like what Jesus was telling the, the Pharisees that... If, if they admitted that they were blind, he would have been able to help them. The reason why he couldn't help them is that they kept saying that, I can see. So when God is sending men to show you your blind spot, will you agree that you have an issue? Or will you have a, a defense for everything? Anything that anybody can say, you say, no. The reason why I do that is because you don't know, when I was a child, this happened, this happened, that happened. Yeah. You get, and then you, you tie everything up and you have a defense for it. Or are you going to say, okay, this is something that I haven't noticed. God, help me with this. Help me with this. I mean, you, 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 all of you know here that we, are, we, are, we have oversight pastors, right? That sometimes I don't look forward to, I mean, if you want to say as of today now, that who is, the, who is the oversight pastor of this church? Now, I'm not saying the most popular person. I'm saying the person who cares the most about this church, makes time out for this church, as if it is his own church, is Pastor Wale Tejumade. He is in Regina, Saskatchewan. He was here for our second anniversary, okay? He cares about this church so much that he runs after me. So I'm, I'm at work, my phone is ringing. He will call my wife, say, where is he at work? He will leave me alone. The minute I'm not at work, <laughs> call me. The, which day was it? Friday, was, what day was it? He was on the phone with me. I can't even remember. I lost count of the hours as my time was going. One thing after the other. As he was going over them, I knew that he must have written this thing down. Because when I finished explaining myself about one thing, he said, okay, so what about this? What are you doing about it? Ah. Say, God, what kind of wallah is there? I don't want this kind of thing. But you need it. You might not want it, but you need somebody else who cares enough about you to show you what you are doing wrong. Because, look, my, my own, as I'm here like this, eh, my number one passion about 
this ministry is the Word of God. That's why I tell myself sometimes that I wish I had a pastor like me. That's not saying that, you know, somebody that can preach like me, or that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying someone who is committed to the Word of God. I envy you guys a lot because sometimes I know the message I'm going to preach, and I'm coming to church, and I'm saying, I wish I can wake up on a Sunday morning and go and hear this kind of message. I'm telling you, that's how I feel about it. So that's my passion. But by being passionate about that, I can neglect other things. I can say, oh, all we need is, is the word. Nobody, all this singing said, we don't even need songs. <laughs> Why are we singing? You understand? You can do that. And you can start neglecting things that, that you, should be, you should. And the same is for you too. In your, in your life, there are things that you are doing well. So we are not saying you are, you are a bad person. We are saying because you are doing that one well, there are other things that other people are the ones that will point out to you. And you must give them permission to do that. You must. You cannot be in a church and nobody can disciple you. Nobody wants to even hear that word again now. Say, ah, what do you mean disciple me? So, so they will know my, my, my age. They will know where I live. They can come to my house anytime, anytime. You mean a pastor can just knock on my door? No. And you want to grow. <laughs> so I cannot show up at your door randomly and knock on the door and catch you fornicating. You can't grow. Oh, yeah, you cannot grow. The Holy Spirit has to be able to wake me up in the middle of the night and tell me, go to sister, let me look for a name that is not, Scovalia. Go to, <laughs> there's no Scovalia in this church. So go to sister Scovalia's house. <laughs> huh? Now, oh, you think God hasn't done that before? When I was in fellowship, he used to do it, right? Because people gave me permission. Somebody will walk up to me and God would download to me as exactly what their week has been like. And I would say it to them. And he'll be like, ah, what's going on here? Yeah, but yeah, nobody, nobody, no, no, no. Ah, if you knock on their door randomly, they're not coming next week. That's the end. Nobody grows that way. Nobody grows that way. And, and you see, this Paul that we're talking about, let me just give you the synopsis because my time is up. Paul and Timothy was a very unique... Because you see, this Paul that we're saying was, this, was the guy who was the lead proponent of saying that all these laws of the Jewish laws, circumcision, they are no more important. That you don't have to do it. You don't have to do whatever. The same Paul, go home and read it. He told Timothy, he said, you... I'm going to circumcise you. <laughs> the same point. And they went to preach to the same people that he was telling that they don't need circumcision anymore. Because what is good for other people is not what is good for you. That's what we are saying. So that the whole world is doing it. Everybody is living together now. They are, they are, what do they call it now? No, that's the, the convenience word. Common law is the escalated version. They are shag, shagging or something. They are shanking or shagging. Or some, some, you know it, huh? That's the thing. That's it. So because everybody is doing that, you are a believer, but you feel that that's okay for you. It's because somebody is looking after you. You are not. Don't call me your pastor. I'm not your pastor because I don't know you. That's what Jesus said. He said, my sheep know, I know them. They hear my voice. <laughs> so it's not randomly. Ah, she, she, she's here. She can tell you an example. One time, they were looking for one fellow. In this church, early days, they were looking for him. And they were calling me. That, uh, what's this? What's this? I said, all the things you're asking me, I don't know, because he has never given me the permission. I don't know this guy. I can't give you that level of the information, because this fellow just wants to be floating. He wants to go to this church this week, next week, choose. This is where I want to be, <laughs> you know, and just go there. Because sometimes it's not everything is lawful, but not all things are expedient. So it's good for everybody does not mean it's good for you. It is what will, will ensure that your destiny is maximized is what you're going to be involved in. So everything can be lawful, everything can be good. You heard Pastor K was saying the other day that, I mean, you are in this church, you are doing fantasy soccer. That's your problem. Me, I've never done it because I just knew that this thing, me, I, I can buy a video game huh, and be playing it. I buy it with my money, I play it. But you are not asking me to be paying money to be involved, no. So you are doing ultimate team, you pay, you buy coins to play. Oh God, you are on your own. I've bought the game, I will play when I want to play. Don't put me online with anybody. I don't care. Even when I'm doing exercise, I don't want to be online. I don't want to see leaderboard. I'm, I'm not interested. Leave me alone. Just me. <laughs> By myself, okay? That's it. So, so you have to ask yourself, where am I going? And fix your thoughts on the direction because your life will always go in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. Say amen to that. Amen. Glory to God. Can you bow your heads and just give God a moment? Let him make this message personal to you. And you may be there this morning and saying, Pastor, if, I, if I'll be honest, my relationship with God is not what it's supposed to be. You can fix that this morning. You can simply say a prayer to God where you are and ask him to fix you. 
and surrender your heart, surrender your, your intentions, surrender your motives, surrender your blind spots, that you are not pushing away the people that God is sending to lead you in the path of destiny, that you are not pushing them away, that you are yielded, you are surrendered in the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to say the prayer of salvation with us this morning, we're all going to say it with you. We just want you to, to make sure that you believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was. He came, he died, he paid the price for your sin so that we can sort out your eternal destination. Say, Father, I believe in my heart that God sent me to die for, that God sent you to die for my sins. I accept Jesus this day as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life and do something with it. I want you to pray specifically for the message of today and ask God that any blind spots in my life that will hinder me from destiny, Lord, expose them to the light this week. This very week, expose them to the light. Let it come to the light. Let it come to the light. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, anything in my life that is a blind spot to me, that will hinder me from achieving your plan, your purpose for my life. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I surrender it to you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. So, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And by the power of your spirit, we ask that you establish every single one of us in this truth and deepen it within our consciousness in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen. All right, can you give God a round of applause? Thank you for listening to this message from Believer's House. We hope you've been blessed. Please visit us at www.believershouse.church for more information about our church or to send us your questions, comments, and feedback. We hope to see you again soon.